listening to a Drishti Point podcast. Please visit our website for more inspiring interviews on yoga, spirituality, and wellness. This is Farhan Azrali. I'm thrilled to have in the studio with us today Matrei, who is the founder of Arkaya Yoga and also Arkaya Foundation. And she's here to talk about both Arkaya Yoga, yoga in general, and also many of the Kriyas or illumination practices to help build inner light. So welcome. I'm happy to be here, Farah. <laughs> Maybe if you could start by telling us a little bit about what Arkaya means and what Arkaya Yoga is all about. Arka is one of the names of the sun that means light, healing and inspiration. And Arkaya is unto the light. So Arkaya Yoga is a life that is unto the light. Aha, uh-huh. so living a life completely in harmony. In harmony and, and in love. love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's so many different kinds of yogas these days, especially in the West. We have so many different names of yoga. What, what, how would you define Arkaya Yoga? Arkaya Yoga is a very mindful, gentle practice in the beginning because I believe yoga has to... Uh, focus on awareness rather than achievement. Mm-hmm. The achievement, of course, is a natural byproduct of the awareness. So that's how the classes are structured because the class becomes a structure for life. Mm-hmm. So you start step by step. You start being aware of your body, your breath, different aspects of your life in terms of your emotions, your different fields of consciousness and existence. So you're looking at your physical body, which is your Annamaya Kosha. You're looking at your pranic body, mm-hmm. which is your Pranamaya Kosha. You're looking at your mind field or your mind sheath or mind body, which is your Manomaya Kosha. Then you're looking at the all-encompassing Vijnanamaya and Anandamaya Kosha. Vijnanamaya is the uh, uh, intellect field or the great wisdom field. The, the great wisdom field would be a better translation. Mm-hmm. and the bliss field. So you're looking at all these fields of existence because we have incarnated in this physical form. And, of course, the masters tell us that we have to transcend even these. But first, <laughs> we have to be aware of our multidimensionality before we transcend it. Mm-hmm. So that's how I approach the yogic process, or that's how I teach yoga, to allow people the space to become aware of all these fields of existence and of their multidimensionality. And in in um, encouraging people to become aware of these different aspects of who, who we are, yes. different layers of our being, um, is it through inquiry, through questioning? Is it through um, movements? Is it through specific techniques? Or what are the ways that you guide that process? It's more through practices, so mm-hmm. which means their physical practices, there are breathwork practices, there are pranic practices. So which means uh, the participants become aware of the prana in their system. So mm-hmm. one, of course, it's easy to be aware of the physical body. So I always start with the physical body because it's tangible. You can't fool yourself. You <laughs> <laughs> can't think you're meditating <laughs> and then just master the art of sitting and sleeping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whereas here, you know, you can touch your toes or you cannot. It's as simple as that for the physical body. Right. So we do a lot of physical practices powered by breath to detoxify the system. Mm-hmm. And along the way, a lot of people become sensitized to prana mm-hmm. 
as a result of the process. Some are already sensitized and sensitive, so they feel the prana. So with the uh, processes, they have an awareness of all these elements, which means they're physical, they're pranic, the breath work, what their thought processes are and how that can influence their life, what their relationships are. Just understanding everything is connected to everything. Mm-hmm. That principle of being fully aware. And what are the um, central, like you mentioned, the um, yoga class becomes a structure for how we live our life. And what are the um, central pillars of that practice? Are there specific things that are very important? For example, is uh, diet very important or is um, uh, some kind of devotional technique where you feel devoted to a higher source or a higher power or what are some of the central pillars of that that's a wonderful question and uh, the, the first thing of course like I said was tuning into spirit and being aware that we're not just one dimension which is the physical dimension so knowing that we're connected to the cosmic spirit whatever name people want to give it God cosmic consciousness universal spirit mm-hmm. so just being connected to Uh, an intelligence which is much wider or broader than we are. Mm -hmm. So that would be the starting point. And that is not done through a little bit of verbal guidance is given, but the tools become the sankalpa, the tools become the intention, which means, let's say, we start with the om chanting. Mm -hmm. So I explain how just by chanting those syllables, we're connecting to this vibration of completeness and wholeness and the cosmic principle. Mm-hmm. So like that, the during the class, there are various tools like that, which create a bodily sankalpa, not just a mental intention or a mental resolve, but a bodily sankalpa that I am connected, I am whole, I am complete. And again, with the body, there's a step-by-step approach, which means we start with the jatis. And these jatis are conscious, rhythmic movements. And because of how modern life is structured, we can sometimes go out of rhythm and we're constantly having to dance to somebody else's tune. Mm -hmm. Maybe the tune of our boss, maybe the tune of material needs, whatever it is. So here, this is a space to step back and say, okay, what is my rhythm truly? So those, that is what the jatis provide. And if they feel overwhelmed during the practice, during the jatis, they also use a lot of releasing breaths which is the cleansing breath or the sighing breath or the female cobra breath, which helps them see that they do hold a lot of trauma or could be stress in the body and that it's okay to release it. They don't have to hold on to it. Mm -hmm. Then there are a lot of kriyas and asanas. And even asanas, the way it is taught is, the asana is usually translated as a posture, but Mm -hmm. here it is a state of being. So you're constantly tuning into different states of being in stillness. So if you're in the state of being of a vriksha or a tree, so that is the quality or the essence that you're not only invoking, but also evoking from within you. Mm-hmm. So that's the beauty of the asana. So they learn, yes, if I want to cultivate something, in the beginning, of course, we use the word cultivate, but ultimately it's evoke. Mm-hmm. So we cultivate, let's say, the quality of viryata, of courage. So we get into the virya asana where our shoulders are nice and broad and uh, you know, you're standing square and grounded so nobody can shake you from your mm-hmm. footing. So they learn all these principles and then always end with Shavasana. So Shavam uh, means a corpse or a dead body. And I find that in a lot of Western yoga classes, the Shavasana is 
underestimated mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. even left out. Like I've gone to a few classes where the Shavasana is not there. But that is the, I would say, one of the most important asanas because that's where the assimilation takes place. That's where the rebirth takes place. Mm-hmm. So that's also very, very important. And of course, all the pranayamas are taught. Prana, ayama, where prana is life force energy and ayama is expansion. So you're constantly working on expanding this life force that is there. So this is just like a little taster of the structure of the class. Mm-hmm. But also, like you asked, there's a lot of reference points given on diet. What is tamasic food? What is sattvic food? What is, what is rajasic food? So that's a whole subject in itself. Where people yeah. come, <laughs> come and understand, oh, this is how food is going to influence me. This is how people are going to influence me. This is how situations are going to influence me. And how do I choose to keep the right distance with the right person or the right situation. Mm-hmm. You've said a lot in that answer. <laughs> yes, yeah, a I know. To... <laughs> but um, I'd like to come to two things you said. First one, you mentioned Shankalpa and the intention. Um, can you explain a little bit more just about this one practice, Shankalpa, what it is and the power of creating Shankalpas that are life-affirming and that, are, um, that can help us evolve the highest qualities within us. Yeah, that's a beautiful practice because it's not just any intention. It is an intention that is aligned with goodness and aligned with your highest reality. Mm -hmm. So that can be created not just verbally, like a a positive affirmation, of course, Mm -hmm. can also be that. But it goes beyond that in the yogic sense where it's not just a verbal intention, but it's a whole-bodied and whole pranic intention mm-hmm. that is created. And that's the beauty of practice, the practicing of it. Mm-hmm. When you describe that, it makes me think of times when I'm with my own guru and I feel that, um, you know, it's my wish to always be in service <laughs> to my teacher. Um, but And I, I experience it in that way, a, a wish with wish. your whole... Yeah. Every cell of your body, body that you... Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very beautiful. Um, tell us a little bit about the jyotis, the movement yeah, so of I, energy. Yeah, I teach practices. a set of kriyas called jyoti kriyas, which to me, I resonate a lot with, because mm-hmm. jyoti means inner illumination. And with these practices, people get a direct experience of all these koshas. So instead of me just, you know, of course, in class, I also verbally explain all of it. But how do people come to terms with their multidimensionality? How do they tune into it? Mm-hmm. So the Jyoti Kriyas is a very, very simple, gentle set of practices that anybody can do. And they have a direct experience of a connectivity towards all these koshas. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And, uh, and, and how did you learn these so my first guru, just to talk about my gurus, mm-hmm. because I also, like you said, I just feel so much uh, gratitude for all the beautiful gurus in my life. My first guru was my grandfather. And he was, yeah, I just, every day I just see his value more and more. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Because when you live with with a grandfather, that's all you know. And mm-hmm. of course you love your grandfather. But only when you step out of that environment and go into the real world, so to speak, <laughs> you say, oh, wow, you know, this is the wealth of knowledge. And this his essence was so beautiful mm-hmm. that I value him even more. Not 
to say that I did not value him then. Mm-hmm. And then he had always wanted me to study in a gurukulam, which means go and live with a guru and study. Yes. So after he passed on, which was more than, yeah, around 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, I studied at uh, uh, two different gurukulams. Mm-hmm. And those also, one was a Vedantic uh, gurukulam, the other was a Tantric gurukulam. And uh, I, um, yeah, I just feel so connected to both. Mm-hmm. One was the Shivanandashram, the other was the Anandashram. And there was a process of purification that I was put through. So, and I would say as a result of that purification, the Jyoti Kriyas just came. Mm-hmm. So it was not like I, you know, intended on creating something. I, I would say it just downloaded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you... Um... Tell us a little bit about what it was like to go through that purification process, because it seems to me sometimes that process uh, is is not easy. It, it's not comfortable, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know it's it's not something that um, easily comes to mind when we think of yoga in the Western context. We yes. think of these beautiful pictures and these beautiful states of being in terms of visually, but we may not understand the process to get to a yes. place like that. So, Yeah, I would say in the classical system, there is a certain discipline that is required of you, which I feel is good because mm-hmm. it's like saying, oh, if you even for the military, if you want to go, there's a height-weight ratio, there's a fitness level. Mm-hmm. for what, So I would say the fitness level for the spiritual life also is very important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So these gurus were, I mean, they were not like, selling anything so they mm-hmm. were pretty hard on you if they found you know you needed to work hard you needed to work <laughs> so the purification i would say of course the mm-hmm. mind but mm-hmm. it would start with the physical body with your diet which means you're eating more sattvic foods and mm-hmm. i was because of my grandfather I was anyway not drawn to too much meat mm-hmm. but i turned fully vegetarian when i was about 16 17 mm-hmm. So because earlier I was dabbling a little bit with meat and then Mm -hmm. I said, oh, you know, I'm done with that. Mm -hmm. So even with alcohol or Mm -hmm. any sort of addictions on a physical level, you're looking at your physical addictions and saying, what am I compensating for? Why am I taking this instead of dealing with an emotion or not being able to create that happiness or that space of joy myself? Mm -hmm. So that I find is very, very important. The second, of course, you're looking at emotional addictions and mental addictions as well and purifying that as well. So I would say that's a very important uh, process. Sometimes the emotional, for me, the physical was not a problem at all because mm-hmm. I I had a fairly reasonably good lifestyle because of my grandfather. The emotional ones I had to really look at and say, okay, what am I addicted to? Am I addicted to being nice? Am I addicted to not standing my ground? Am I addicted to be non-confrontational? So there were so many patterns in myself that I had to look at and draw better boundaries because that's also a very important part of yoga. We sometimes say, oh, yes, we're all loving, we're all one. And yet in the physical realm, there is this thing as conscious boundary setting. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was a big learning curve during Mm -hmm. my purification to say, okay, what is the uh, detachment I need to keep from a person or situation and not get pulled into the situation? Mm-hmm. So that for me was a big purification. That, And I imagine that's very appropriate for a lot of people who are very sensitive to other people's pain, very sensitive to other people's emotions, that they, and who have a very compassionate heart. 
is they naturally want to feel inclined to help or um yeah yes yeah mm -hmm. very interesting now um one of the things that i wanted to talk to you about is the concept of sadhana okay and uh and I'm wondering first if you can just explain your understanding of sadhana and how you um, talk to your students and people in your classes about what it means, sadhana. So if you look at sadhana, it's practice or a process whereby mm -hmm. you're releasing yourself from this bondage and moving towards this higher principle, which means moksha, freedom, liberation. Mm -hmm. And that's why the sadhana is so important because... It's a step-by-step -step way of reaffirming to yourself that this is important rather mm -hmm. than the other patterns mm -hmm. that you're caught up with. So, so it's just a way of uh, orienting your life yes, re in one direction yes. or another direction. Yes, uh -huh. yes. And so that would incorporate everything that we do. Yes, all the physical, emotional, uh, lifestyle practices would all be sadhana. Mm -hmm. Of course, some people do sadhana because, I mean, we used to joke in the Indian culture that even the rakshasas or the demons, so-called <laughs> demons, they used to do, they used to be pretty uh, strong-willed. Mm -hmm. So anybody who's strong-willed can do sadhana. But the reason they did sadhana, of course, was for a lot of material benefits and to become, you know, the greatest ruler or the most powerful king. So, of course, the intention or the mm -hmm. sankalpa is also, like, you know, very, very important. Yeah. And uh, how, you know, in our Western culture and North American lifestyle, it's, there's so many demands on our time and there's so much sensory stimulation. Um, how, what kind of formal practice, like say, you know, a formal practice, everyday practice where you take out one hour of time or 40 minutes of time, or what do you recommend for people in that way? In addition to, of course, everything else, people do in terms of their orientation but the formal practice of actually sitting or doing asana or doing kriyas what would i rec recommend mm -hmm. i would say just the yoga class itself that's how i've structured the arkaya yoga class as a sadhana class mm -hmm. so which means they start off with certain practices and like i said the uh attention and intention has to be awareness mm -hmm. rather than achievement which means they move with the breath they move mindfully they move in a way that uh, they're not being lazy at the same time they're not pushing themselves too hard so mm -hmm. it's finding that middle ground it's finding that balance in the practice and of course I can go on about all the mm -hmm. practices that are given but just to keep it short I would say that that one hour is a constant reminder for them to not to go into the day and keep that same awareness mm -hmm. and some people are unable to keep that one hour so i would say every one hour just keep take three minutes mm -hmm. bring your awareness back to your breath back back to your center just keep your eyes closed and take that focus inwards how are you feeling can you do a few cleansing breaths so sometimes even that going back inwards and recentering does help a lot mm-hmm yeah. So it can be in the morning to kind of set the foundation for your day yes. or it could be taking time throughout the day. Yes. And of course, ultimately, it's a moment to moment awareness. But I think the sadhana is very, very important to remind us of that. Right. Otherwise, we so easily forget and, you know, we can fool ourselves into thinking, oh, I'm, I'm so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> and uh, 
Tell us a little bit about um, what it means, Seva. Seva, of course, is uh, mentioned as selfless service, but I would say it's a higher calling. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's a direct fallout of my sadhana, mm -hmm. which means you just can't help. But <laughs> it's like you have no choice. It's a relaxed, loving service, I would say. When your heart bursts with love, you cannot but serve. Uh -huh. so. Oh, that's a beautiful definition <laughs> yeah. of it. So, I mean, with the kids, like a lot of people ask me, oh, that's our Seva project. Like, it's it's not, for me, it's not a project. Of course, mm -hmm. when you're writing things down and, you know, it's a class format, sometimes these words are used. Right. So people say, oh, I have to work like the um, students in Chennai. They work with the children, the foundation that I run. Mm -hmm. So they call it their Seva project. But right. to me, it's just my life. And it's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can relate to what you're talking about, that sometimes there is this impulse within us that w we can't hold back. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think the the most um, authentic experience of Seva is of that nature, that it's an impulse that is not forced yeah. and is not done by will, yeah. but is done through um, some evolutionary impulse that... Yes. that yeah. uh, no, very rightfully and beautifully said, yes. Very. But sometimes I see it's also necessary why yes. gurus say, oh, this person has got such a hard ego, they need to go in. <laughs> <laughs> so I see that framework too, <laughs> where yes. they're made to do seva. <laughs> yes. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience here in Vancouver. And, in, you know, you work in North America and in Europe. And surely you've seen lots of yoga communities in lots of different parts of the world. What is your experience of the yoga community here? And, and what are your hopes for what you see in the future of people who practice yoga here? I am very happy to be in Vancouver. One is because of the trees and nature. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just got something to mm -hmm. it, which drew me. So I got my permanent residency about eight years ago, but I had too many uh, commitments in India and in Europe. So what I did was I just landed here for a month, got my papers done and went back. Mm -hmm. And I slowly worked up the time I was living here. And now I'm here for six months. Oh, that's Every great. Year. So six months here, six months in other parts of the world. And of course, India, mostly in India as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, the yoga community here is just wonderful. Of course, they're all it's a spectrum yeah like <laughs> like anywhere else but I would say that there's so many people who are actively seeking mm -hmm. which is a very fertile ground so it's like mm -hmm. all these young babies who are just ready to yeah just ready to grow and mm -hmm. uh, I feel that I'm drawing the right people and the right community mm -hmm. some of course come because they're looking for something traditional and something more rooted some, of course, are a little bit surprised, <laughs> but then they understand once I tell them this is the approach and it's not mm -hmm. going to be, you know, just a yoga uh, or an exercise program, mm -hmm. then they get it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for the most part, everybody's been fantastic. And how how does it compare to other places in the world? Because, I mean, it's I, I would say it's almost a phenomena that more and more people are becoming interested in in yoga all over the world. Yes, no, you're absolutely right on that. And because I live in a yoga bubble, I find it wonderful. Like I was in Dubai and a lot of people were like, oh, Dubai is like this and it's so commercial and it's so stark. And But because I was at the yoga, uh, Dubai Yoga uh, Festival and Music Festival, I 
was just part of that bubble. And I really loved it mm -hmm. because the people who came there were seeking and who were wanting to learn and understand. Mm -hmm. So I find the yoga communities in all these places just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> the place itself, the real experience, I know nothing about. <laughs> yes. And, and I imagine that's uh, similar everywhere, that there are um, yeah. places of light everywhere and places where, yes. you know, materialism and other values dominate. Dominate, yeah. Very interesting. Um, and so I, I wanted to, um, I, I invited you because I wanted to talk about a few concepts that you're giving a talk at Banyan Books and you're going to talk about Shankalpa, Seva, sadhana. and Sadhana. Yeah. And um, are there any other things that we didn't have a chance to talk about that you're planning to talk about at your event at Banyan Books? I'm planning a... Uh, 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 yeah, basically it's about this and also about the uh, transformational breathing that I do, which works mm -hmm. on different lobes of the lungs. Mm -hmm. That comes from a tantric tra tradition that mm -hmm. I studied and that I learned. Mm -hmm. And what I've done is associated with different goddesses and mm -hmm. uh, different aspects because it's easier for the mind to remember. So for me, I've always been fascinated by how working on a particular part of the body, like for example, I, I will be teaching them the lower segment breathing. And by working on this segment, you're cultivating a lot of assertiveness. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's what I do if I want to become more assertive, because this is where you hold all your power struggles. And mm -hmm. if you don't have a strong gut, then somebody can easily shake you off your ground or manipulate you easily. Mm -hmm. So, and then we have the mid chest breathing. So by breathing there, you cultivate this aspect of knowing you're enough, having enough or feeling you have enough and all the resources will come to you. And the upper chest breathing for discernment and the higher arts. So that's something that I'll be teaching also, which is a, a big part of my, uh, what I teach. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, that's what I'll be talking about. And also a little bit, I will be talking about the Archaya programs and the retreats that I uh, do also, which will be in August. So that's basically the... And mm -hmm. and you mentioned uh, goddesses. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Okay. So if you look at uh, the Indian goddesses, Durga, mm -hmm. you know, she sits on a lion or tiger. Or that's how she's depicted. She has this beautiful radiant smile. Mm -hmm. And she has all these weapons with at least four to five hands on either side, <laughs> on each side. <laughs> yeah. So that's somebody you really don't want to mess with. Mm -hmm. Because you look at her and you see that she is so vibrantly... Uh, rooted, grounded. I mean, somebody has to be really powerful to ride a tiger or a lion. So that symbolizes her strength. So this area that, that is the lower chest breathing, I'd like to associate it with Durga. Mm -hmm. Because whenever I found myself a bit rattled and when I travel, I've met all sorts of people. Most part, people are wonderful. But sometimes I find people, if I'm not careful, will try to throw me off balance. Mm -hmm. Because if you oh, she's a woman, she's traveling alone, so they'll, they'll get their vasanas in there. Mm -hmm. And then I have to do my breathing and center and invoke this energy and be really firm. Mm -hmm. I see. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, uh, there's definitely a time and place for us to draw upon a stronger, more yes. fierce power. Yes. Um, but to do so without, to do so in the right way that we can yes. invoke 
um, the right kind of energies and yes. not get caught up in yeah not get caught up in the drama of it or get enmeshed in it because mm-hmm. it's so easy that's what that's why the sadhana is so important and for me that's so important to create that space to mm-hmm. create that nice clear pranic feel where you're not getting drawn or pulled into the drama of things mm-hmm. so and yeah like I was saying you can also invoke and evoke these energies for more support and strength and say let me do what is right. And of course, Saraswati to be more discerning and say, you know, okay, this is what my mind feels at the moment, but is it how things truly are? Mm-hmm. Because there, there can be a difference. So, and that's why I do the practice every day so that whenever I act, I act in alignment with this highest vision that these goddesses have. Mm-hmm. rather than probably my uh, limited perspective of things. Mm-hmm. And do you use mantra in your, um, in your, in how you teach yoga or, or in your own sadhana? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I use a lot of mantra in uh, my own sadhana as well. And uh, when I teach, I teach very simple mantras. Mm-hmm. That way it's easier for the Western tongue and they're mm-hmm. not, it's not too complicated. But some have become quite interested in the mantra aspect and they've learned the chanting more in depth Mm -hmm. and can and we have a little bit of time so um i personally love mantra it's it's helped me a lot in my life i think you know before when i started practicing mantra and i practice sometimes when i ride my bike my favorite way to practice is when i'm walking but i started to realize i don't know what i was doing with my mind before and I think probably I was, my mind was running around in really insignificant thoughts, very trivial thoughts, and probably um, ones that were not helpful for me. Yeah. Um, so I love the practice of mantra, but t- tell me. No, for me also, it's like that. Like whenever my mind gets trapped or I notice it going into some kind of thoughts that I my mind might think it's necessary, but actually it's not. Mm-hmm. So I just start chanting the mantras and keeping, and I have it as a sadhana as well, but even through the day, mm-hmm. like when I'm in front of the computer or when I'm trying to do things, it becomes like a, not a loud uh, chanting, but an internal chanting mm-hmm. that goes on within so that that can become my vibration. Mm-hmm. So I do teach mantra and for that purpose to others also because it becomes a tool for the mind it clarifies the mind and mm-hmm. my grandmother always used to say mantram kavacham so mantra is it's like a shield or a protection also one from others of course in the beginning when you say or oh, you're a kid like you know you're enemies and you won't get hurt and you'll be protected but ultimately from your own negativity <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to be yes, protected, protected from me, me. yeah <laughs> i can say that <laughs> yeah. Oh, very good. Very, very good. Well, thank you so much for um, coming with us, and especially on a little bit of short notice. Tell us about when the talk is at Banyan Books. That's the coming Sunday that's happening, and then I have a couple of other programs that are coming up. On July 20th, there's another program. Mm -hmm. So that's this coming Sunday? Yes, that's this coming Sunday. And then July 20th, there's another program, Mm -hmm. and which is from 3 to 5, and then there's another retreat. Coming up in August, from August 2nd to 9th. Is that the one on Bowen Island? Yes, that's the one. Oh, what a lovely Bowen. place. Yes, it's just fabulous. It's close to nature. Yeah. And it's it's just, yeah, for me, that's a perfect place to keep a partially Mauna program. Mm-hmm. So it's partial silence because I know people, when you're, they're thrown into complete silence, they get a bit 
rattled. Mm-hmm. So this is part on our part. And everybody gets individual rooms mm-hmm. because I believe that when people are processing, it's good to have space. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Last year, my biggest lesson was I would take timeouts. When I found I was too emotionally charged, I would cut myself off so that I protect myself from doing something wrong. Yes, yes. no, that's and uh, and go into my own room. Yeah, no, that I think is fantastic because that way you have you're yeah. in your integrity. Yeah, you're not getting drawn into different things or little triggers that can kind of throw you off. Absolutely. And I, 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 it was the first time I think I've really experienced uh, the passing and coming of emotions that they, they they don't last forever and you can just ride them out if it's a negative one. Yeah. So that's true. And the July 20th program is that a class as an introduction to Arkaya yoga. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. actually, yeah, you're right. It's an introduction to Arkaya yoga and the Mm -hmm. Jyoti Kriyas. Mm -hmm. So people can come and understand about it, learn it, know the process. And it's fairly simple, and it can be done three to five minutes every day, even if people don't have time. And where is that happening? Uh, that's happening at a studio at Maine. I don't know the... Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure we get the details. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. And any final words that you'd like to share with our listeners or things that are in your heart right now in, in your teaching that, that are important for you? I would just say I'm really happy to share these teachings. I never planned on becoming a teacher in the first place, but life took me to that space. And I think my whole life's journey has taken me to a point where I this is my life and mm-hmm. this feels so much in resonance. And I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing, sharing what I'm sharing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel that if more people get drawn to the evolutionary part, it would just make life so much simpler for themselves and for the entire community. Mm-hmm. So it's actually, in the beginning, it might seem difficult because we're changing so much and purifying so much. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, this, I would say, is is an easy life mm-hmm. compared to a life of troubles or being bogged down or having to, you know, kind of uh, uh, flip between extremes. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And, and, you know, you're a beautiful example of what you teach. You look very healthy and, you know, you can sense uh, from a person's presence and a person, uh, a person's level of happiness and peace. And I definitely sense that from you. So oh, thank you very much. I, yeah. I really enjoyed meeting you and uh, being on this interview. Yeah. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Drishti Point. We dedicate our efforts to the health and happiness of our listeners and for the health and happiness of all living beings.